Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. Would you turn with me to Romans 8 and, and sound team, please turn my microphone up. Romans 8, if you have your Bibles. And guys, make it a habit of bringing your Bibles. I know we post the, the scriptures up on the projector, but it's still good for you to navigate through it yourself. Um, as you turn there, please sign up for the women's conference at the Connect Station. We're only a couple weeks away, and um, we still want to know the numbers so we can provide the right amount of food. And uh, you guys remember four months of announcements for the Love the Bible conference because we tried to anticipate you know, how many people would come. And so we had uh, 1,400 people sign up, and we had close to 2,000 people show up. So that is usually what happens. Um, thank God we had enough beef for everyone. And can you imagine at the Love the Bible conference, which probably most of you are at, we had a lot of beef left over, piles of it. They were bringing beef into the worship team room. I'm like, just, we can't eat all of this beef. So we now know how much beef can feed 2,000 people. It's uh, 300 kgs of beef. In Kenya, it can feed that many people. <laughs> In Romans chapter 8, really leaving off of where it uh, ended in chapter 7, verse 22, the Bible says, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. So, then he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? I thank God through Christ Jesus, um, our Lord. And then he, he starts a subject, guys. And, and you guys who are Bible students, by the way, you, I, I know that you pay attention to the flow of Scripture. Scripture is always very contextual. contextual. It, it, it doesn't build off of random thoughts, um, but it's all connected. Paul from Romans chapter 1 all the way here into Romans chapter 7, though it is discussed different things that can and are connected to each other, here in verse 22, it's now going to start the subject of the mind. The mind. When he mentions the mind, he is not talking about the muscle tissue that makes up our brain, but the spiritual reality that exists inside of our mind. And that's the subject that he begins with um, in leading into Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 6, in Romans chapter 7, we learn something so vitally important that, guys, if, if you could have, if we got it, I hope you've been thinking about it for these few weeks, meditating upon it. I hope your life has been changed by it because it taught us something so vitally important that 
I don't want to redo all the teachings for the last week or the week before, but I've been thinking about it a lot. Now, I've read Romans, I don't know how many times, a couple hundred. I, I, I've taught Romans, um, and, and I, I don't know that I have meditated it as much as having taught it this time. And it, it's not only telling us telling us that it is impossible for us to obey God, that even in the flesh, that even after salvation, we have the carnal-mindedness, the propensity, um, the desires, if you will, to want to obey God's law in the flesh. To obey God within our own strength. To obey God... Um, in our own power, in our own thinking. In the Old Testament, when the people of God would deviate from temple worship that was prescribed in detail by God. You go to the brazen altar, you do this. You light the candlesticks of the Mornora like this. You mix the spices with these ingredients. Very detailed uh, acts of worship, though we do not adhere to temple worship as it was prescribed to the Old Testament, the New Testament church is just as well detailed as the Old Testament worship. We have immense amounts of details on how we are supposed to conduct ourselves as the body of Christ when we assemble together as believers, as born-again Christians, Christ being the head and the foundation of the church. I hope you guys have looked into the lobby and seen our ecclesiastical or ecclesiology chart. That's the study of the church. And learn from it. It's very important that we know what God has prescribed to us. And yet, people have their own ideas. In the book of Judges, when... The people um, had no leadership, no king or no prophet or this, and God wanted to be their leader, and the, the nation of Israel rejected God as their supreme leader, their king in the theocracy. It would say that they did what was right in their own eyes. I can't tell you how many people, and you probably have come across this too, have said, oh, I love Jesus, but I don't go to church. Bunch of hypocrites at church. As Billy Graham said, hey, if you find a perfect church, join it. But just so you know, if you join it, you have made it imperfect with your own imperfections. There's no perfect church. And nevertheless, people use it as an excuse not to assemble together. All kinds of weird things that go on at church that are not prescribed by God. All kinds of people who um, want to take the glory from God and make church about men or a man. You know, in the Old Testament, at the establishment of the temple, God set a precedent. You know what he said a precedent has? By killing two people, Nadab and Abihu, for wrongly mixing the ingredients that was the um, offering of incense. God killed them right on the spot. 
Now, if he killed every single minister who was trying to take glory from themselves, I'm afraid many of us would be dead this morning. But he doesn't do that. He wanted to set an example that worship is about him. Also in the New Testament, if you think the Old Testament was a a different God who was a God of judgment, do you know in the New Testament when God established the church, did he do the same thing? Yes, he killed two people at the establishment of the church, Ananias and Sapphira. Same thing as he did in the Old Testament. Why? Setting a precedent that those who try to make themselves look good or exalt themselves above the glory of God are deserving of death. It's incredible. And Paul, through these chapters, is trying to get us to see that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. We have no strength. And even after we get saved, Paul brilliantly teaches us that so many of us want a religion over the person of Christ. That is very telling and interesting. It's very selfish. It's very arrogant. It's very prideful. And yet, we do it with each other all the time. We um, base our relationships so much on what the person that we want uh, to marry, the person who we want to marry, or that person who we want to become friends with, what can they do for me? What what, 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 what do I get out of this? And we kind of just give the minimal amount of effort to sustain relationships that can benefit us. That is religion. We want the minimal amount of effort that can sustain our fire insurance by Jesus Christ so that we don't go to hell. All these different things. And Paul profoundly teaches us in Romans 6 and 7 that after we get saved, there are people still who are carnally minded, who are fighting flesh with flesh, fighting sin with sin. Fighting fire with fire when Christ is the answer and the Holy Spirit. So he switches the subject in verses 22. Well, not switching the subject, but continuing on. Now focusing on the mind. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 8, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This statement, there is therefore now no condemnation for those Christ Jesus, is an emphatic statement speaking about the reality of a born-again Christian. It's not saying that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who walk in the Spirit, but there is condemnation for those born-again Christians who walk in the flesh. That's not what the Bible is saying. It is making a statement about the condition of Christians, the condition of people who are born again. We have no condemnation on us, though at times we can 
entertain a false reality of emotional condemnation. What I mean by that is we can feel guilty, we can feel um, shame, we can feel condemnation in our emotions. There's a song that we often will sing here called Spirit Lead Me. Um, And one of the uh, lines in the song is, I don't want to follow my feelings. And unfortunately, Christians have adopted the idea from the secular world and Hollywood and liberalism and all this kind of demonic type thinking that we should do whatever we feel. We should just do whatever we feel. Oh, you feel like getting with this person? Get with that person. You feel like divorcing that person? Ah, your heart's not in anymore. Divorce that person. You know, I don't think I love you anymore. This kind of secular thinking. It's like, you know, when we got together, I loved you, and you have changed. So I don't love you anymore. As if love was an emotion or feeling that should be guiding us. Guys, love is not an emotion or a feeling. It is a choice to, 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 to sacrifice yourself for somebody no matter what the cost, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. So, you know, we in the church, I just don't feel God anymore. He's there. He always has been. He always will be. And the problem is not with God. It is with your emotional state. I just don't. You know, when I read the Bible, when I was a Christian, I'm I'm making fun, but I know we all, well, a lot of us go through. It's like when I read the Bible, when I first got saved, I felt so much. Nowadays, I can read it and I feel nothing. What do I do, pastor? Well, don't talk like that, number one. You know, because we are so, we are a feeling-driven culture. And it goes well beyond women nowadays. And guys, we just had a conference, and my pastor, uh, your grand pastor, so to speak, he's been preaching this for 40 years, this kind of stuff. Because he's noticed it as the cultures have changed. And by the way, we we are now in a global culture for the first time in world history. In human history, we are now in a global culture. An 18-year-old Kenyan in Eldoret has a lot of the same ideas, emotions, thoughts as an 18-year-old living in California. It's a global culture. And guys, it it is gross. I would encourage you men, if you want to sound great and masculine, don't talk about your feelings. Don't be like, well, you know, I feel like I want to go eat. It's like, you know, I feel like you're mad at me. (laughs) Guys, I can't tell you how many people talk like this. You know, I feel like they start that with every sentence they say. It makes me and my pastor want to vomit. Do 
You know, we used to make fun of guys that would cry about boo-boos. You know, remember, did you guys ever do this in Kenya? You make fun of guys who talked about a fingernail getting broken? You know, girls do that. Oh, I broke a fingernail. Guys, don't ever say that. Broke a fi- I broke a fingernail. Look, I broke a fingernail. I was so proud of my son, Zephaniah, when he's like, hey, dad, real, in a manly way, he's like, hey, dad. It's like, what? He's like, uh, my fingernail got hurt. I'm like, yeah? Let's not talk about it. But he was being manly. I was like, let me see it. His fingernail was ripped off. I was like, oh, well, you're tough, man. You understand this condemnation thing? I, I, I want you to get this, guys, because truth will always set you free if you apply it. They get louder and louder every Sunday. There is no condemnation even if you feel guilt and shame. And what the Bible is teaching us that you can go through a life and emotionally feel a false sense a false reality of guilt on you and condemnation on you and, and shame on you when in reality, if you're born again and you die, when you go in front of Jesus Christ, in front of the Father, in front of the Spirit to be judged as a born-again Christian at the Bema Seat judgment, they will pronounce to you the same thing they're saying in Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation on this person. No shame. No guilt. Enter into everlasting glory. Well done, good and faithful slave. Not, not servant. God's not going to have bad Greek in heaven, just so you know. Well done, good and faithful slave. Bond slave. And, and that is what Romans 8, 1 is saying. It's not saying, okay, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are spiritually minded, which is going to talk about being spiritually minded. And then there's a, okay, if you're fleshly minded, there'll be a lot of condemnation. No, there's none for the born again Christian. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't have it. It's not in you. It's not on you. It's not with you. It is gone by the power and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Do you know how to incre- Guys, this is incredible. If we were Pentecostals, we'd say Amen which I am. So amen. All the wickedness, all the sin, all the things I've done, past, present, and all the things I will do that bring shame to to Christ, not that I want to do, not that I will continue in sin, the grace may abound, but I'm just so messed up at times that I will sin in the future. I, I don't know that I'll go this Sunday in these three services without sinning. But I can tell you this. With all of that, I will stand before Jesus Christ, before the Father, and they will pronounce no condemnation on me. Because this is the glory of the gospel. That an unworthy, unrighteous, Wicked, depraved sinner like me can stand before the Father and he will say, no condemnation, no sin, no guilt, because I will be dressed in robes of righteousness. Glory, hallelujah, praise be to God. 
This is incredible. So understand what it's saying here. Remember in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus Christ, he says, what must I do to be born again? He said, you must be born of the Spirit. Same thing he's talking about here. You must be born of the Spirit, he says. And so Nicodemus is like, what do you mean? Born again, born of the Spirit. Well, how can I be born again? Enter into my mother's womb again after I am born and older? And Jesus says to him, are you a teacher of the law and you don't know these things? To be born of the Spirit. You can't see it. It's like the wind that blows in, but you can notice it and you can see the effects of those who are born again. There's a change. None of us ever saw wind. You can't look out at a hurricane and be like, I see wind coming. You can't see wind coming. But when the powerful winds of a hurricane do come, boy, they can cause a massive amount of destruction. And some of us, I know I have, have seen the, the, the power of, of, a, of a hurricane. I was uh, there in uh, America for Hurricane Sandy during a uh, cleanup. It's amazing. This wind was ripping the boards that were screwed down along the beach on a boardwalk. When we would go in, because they did so much damage to these, this, this wood that was a walkway along the ocean... They ripped so many that the city decided that we'll just take up the boardwalk and redo it. We were going out there with crowbars, hammers, trying to rip up the boards. And it was difficult to rip them up with crowbars and hammers and jacks. And nevertheless, the wind came of a hurricane rim and was ripping them right off of the screws. So you can see the effects of wind as Jesus was saying in John chapter 3 and we should see the effects of us being born of the Spirit which we'll talk about later. But Jesus says in that same chapter that famous verse probably the famous, most famous verse in all the scripture for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life for Jesus he says for I did not come into the world to condemn the world that's a pronouncement of shame of guilt of judgment but through me the world might be saved for those who do not believe are condemned already. So what he's saying is the same thing that Romans 8, 1 is saying. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet so many, even in our church in the body of Christ, feel condemned all the time. And that's the word feel. Their emotions lie to them. We need to start pronouncing there is... If you're born again, you're a believer in Christ, there's no condemnation on you. So why are you entertaining the enemy accusing you of sin, of guilt, of shame? It is bad theology to 
think there's condemnation on you. If I were to say, you know, say I had a phobia of spiders. Does anybody, is anybody in here scared of spiders? Only two of us? Guys, in Exodus 20, the Bible says, thou shall not lie. I don't, there's probably none of us in here that like spiders. I don't like spiders. Now, I don't have a particular, I'm not as scared of spiders as my wife. Oh my gosh. You women are so funny when you see a spider. You know, my wife never runs until she sees a spider. And then she makes all kind of high-pitched noise. But imagine you have a phobia of spiders to where anytime you feel something, you think, oh, that's a spider crawling on me. Have you ever done that? Maybe it's just your hair moving because you slept on it and you tweaked it in such a way that as you're getting up for the next hour, it's popping back into place and you feel it in your hand, you're like, it's a spider. So many times we can feel that there's an insect or a spider on us when in fact there's nothing on us. Maybe it's a fly. Maybe it's nothing. Your skin just itches. That's what it's like with condemnation. There will never be condemnation for those who are born again. But the enemy tries to put it on us like a spider and we feel it's like, oh, there's condemnation. It's never on you. It can't be on you. The Lord has pronounced us clean, righteous, without sin. And on the day of judgment, there will still be no condemnation. You get my point. In in John's gospel as well, the, the woman caught in adultery. She was probably set up, as many Bible teachers teach us, because where was the man? She was caught in the act. Ladies, can you imagine the humiliation of being dragged out of a sexual act and thrown naked in the streets? Terrible. And these men wanted to catch Jesus in some sort of disfavor with Rome and disfavor with the Jews. If he does say, okay, the law says to kill her. You guys go ahead and kill her. She's an adulteress. And, and then she's, she's killed. Rome will arrest him because the Jews weren't allowed to kill. If he says, no, don't kill her. Leave her alone. Then he won't have favor with the Jews because the law of the Old Testament was people were to be put to death who were caught in adultery. So they think they got Jesus. Once again, they think they got Jesus in a, in a jam, in a, in a way that there's no way out. Either thing he does, he's in trouble. But of course, nobody can trap Jesus Christ. He's God. He's brilliant. Uh, and he starts writing on the ground their sins, and they just disappear. Let's forget this ever happened. No doubt he's writing on the ground their sins. And then he turns to the woman and he says, where are those who accuse you? She says, there are none. He says, neither do I condemn you. Condemn? That same word. Neither do I condemn you. She was just having sex 
with a man who's not her husband, who is probably also married. What kind of grace and forgiveness are we talking about? That's offensive. It's offensive. She was just involved in wicked sin. And he turns to her moments after the intercourse, moments after the sexual act, and says, I don't condemn you. Do you think this woman loved Jesus Christ as her Lord after something like that? Absolutely. Go and sin no more. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So he is reiterating what we have learned over these past few chapters. And really, since chapter three, all the way through, he's trying to get, yes, the Jews, but remember the Jews are indicative of all humanity. Humanity who strives to be right with God based on what they do and their adherence and their obedience to the law. And for, for, for several chapters coming... It's not a problem with the law. It's a problem with our flesh that cannot fulfill the law. And guys, it, it runs. I hope you can get what, we're been, what I've been talking about these few weeks, what the Bible's trying to get us to see. It runs so deep in us. It runs so deep in us to want to be right with God based on our own merit. Entire religions are built off of this. Obey God, go to heaven. Very dangerous, because we can't. And Paul's, once again, he's saying, um, the problem with the law is not the law, but is the weakness of the flesh to obey the law. And then what Paul's also trying to get us to say, understand in chapter 7, is even more so after we get saved... We're trying to obey the law again in the flesh. It's okay. I, I recognize I need Jesus Christ to save me, to, to have forgiveness for the sins. But now that I'm saved, I'm really going to obey the law without Christ. Now, we don't consciously say that, but we do it with our actions. We're not part of a local church. We don't do our devotions. We don't read our Bible. We don't pray. We don't walk in the spirit. And he's going to address that for the rest of the portion that we'll be in today. But he says, it's not a problem with the law. It's a problem with the flesh to obey the law. The law has right, but it has no might. 
And then it says in verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now he's bringing us back to what verse 22 in chapter 7 is bringing us to, and that is the mind. The mind plays a part in our spiritual lives. Galatians chapter 5 says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So there's something going on here that is good for us to understand. And we must go back all the way to creation to understand it. When God created humans, he created them uniquely different than the angels who are spiritual beings and the animals that were only material beings. He created us material and spiritual and in the image of God. And in that spiritual material state, Adam and Eve were spiritually minded. They were ruled by the spirit that was in them, a spiritual mindedness that connected them to God. In fact, the Bible even says that Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. He was a spiritually minded person first, though he had a physical body. Very important, guys, where we're going here, so stay with me. And he walked with God in the cool of the day. He knew no sin. Him and his wife were naked and not ashamed. Praise God. Hallelujah. I think that's more of a married person joke. We got too many single people in the room. Find a wife, bro. They were without shame. And then they sinned. But God created them spirit, soul, and body. And the spirit was the head of their existence. And then the moment that they sinned. Eve, in her deception, she sinned, and Adam, in his idolatry, he sinned. And all of a sudden, this transference happened instantly. They're no longer spirit, soul, and body, but they are body, soul, and spirit. They are now dominated by a carnal mind that is focused on material things first, their body, material things, their clothing. They sewed fig leaves together. And now they are no longer spirit, soul, and body, but they are body, soul, and spirit. And what Romans chapter 8 is teaching us, ladies and gentlemen, that the second Adam that was mentioned in an earlier part, the Romans 5, 6, now has made it possible for us through his sacrifice, through his victorious uh, living, conquering death, conquering sin, obeying the law, has now given us the ability 
given us the victory over sin. So now the transference can be reversed once again. Where Adam and Eve were created, spirit, soul, and body. They sin. Now their body, soul, and spirit, dominated by the, the, the carnal mind, put on some clothes, you know, get a, a house, you know, school fees, university education, da 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 da. The material mind goes on and on. We're no, they're no longer eternally minded. And when we are born, we're not internal minded, eternally minded. But now, Christ has died, making it possible for the Holy Spirit, which will be a subject next week, an incredible subject. I hope you don't miss it. Indwelling us has given us the power to be spiritually minded once again. That's what the Bible's saying. And to be carnally minded, materially minded is death, To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Isn't it so restless, joyless, peaceless, no peace, thinking about the things of the world all the time, first and foremost? Isn't it just miserable, guys? Rent, food, clothing, school fees, Medical bills, da 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 da. And then Jesus comes along and he says in Matthew chapter 6, this, to, to, to honestly, to the carnal mind, it's ridiculous. It's like, hey guys, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about my life. I don't have food to bring home today. Don't worry about my life. What you'll wear, You want me to go naked? What you'll eat? You want me to be hungry? Where you live? You don't want a roof over my head? For these are the things that the Gentiles worry about. This is what the world is doing. Why? Well, Romans 8, because they're carnally minded. Materially minded is what he's saying. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? All these other things will be added to you. God still loves you. God cares for you guys. He's not going to, okay, just because you're not worrying about food doesn't mean you won't get fed. Just because you're not worrying about clothing doesn't mean you've got to go out naked in public. Just because you're not worrying about these things doesn't mean God still doesn't know you have need of them. In fact, that's what Jesus says, doesn't he? God knows you have need of them. He's aware of what's going on. I'm having a problem with my children right now. Are my kids in here? Good, I don't want to discourage them. I'm having a problem with my kids. Can I tell you what that problem is? They want to know the plan in detail every single day. And it drives me nuts. Get in the car. Hey, Dad, where are we going? We're going to the church. It's like, yeah, what are we going to do when we get there? I'm going to do a lot of things. Yeah, what's the first thing you're going to do? 
Well, I, you know, I, and I get in the trap of answering questions like, well, I'm going I'm to get there. I'm going to have a meeting. After the meeting, what are you going to do? That's enough. I've been telling them the last few days, no logistical questions. I'm tired of it. Just trust that I have the best plan for you today. Oh, my gosh. I know we got one in the room now. She can deal with this. It's just, and guys, now, there's got to be reason to what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we can't make plans. I'm not saying that our minds can't think of the material things of this world. We got to work hard. We got to eat. We got to go to the grocery store and think about the things we're going to buy. Now, of course, we got to think of material things. But Jesus says in Matthew 6, I know the needs you have. I'm not saying that your mind can never have a thought about these things. What I'm saying is the first thing you need to think about is my will, my plan, and the kingdom of God. That's the first thing you need to think about. And those who think materially first are carnally minded. He, he goes on, verse 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity, division against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, this is interesting. What it just taught us. Now, it taught us before, remember, to be worldly-minded is, carnally-minded is death. It's turmoil. It's trials. Unnecessary trials. To be spiritually-minded is life and peace. Guys, when you wake up in the morning, which every Christian in this room should be seeking God when they wake up in the morning, and you're like, oh God, I know there's a lot to do today, but first and foremost, I'm seeking you. Holy Spirit, thank you for your ministry and work in my life. You've given me the assurance of salvation, the Spirit of God in me. Holy Spirit, you're the down payment of the hope of our inheritance. Just a list of things that the Holy Spirit, and you're in the Spirit. You're spiritually minded. And then when you're done seeking God first, his kingdom, what happens? You have peace for the rest of the day. But when you wake up, he's like, oh, school fees, three days late. Oh, gosh. Get on the phone. Hey, can you help me with school fees? No, okay, dang it. Turmoil, pain. <laughs> Did you ask God to help you with school fees before you asked all your neighbors? I mean, you guys, materially minded versus spiritually minded is the subject. It's fascinating. It'll change your life. It's life and peace. The other is death and darkness and pain. You know, and we all, guys, we've all done it, haven't we? <laughs> oh, I'm so stressed about money. Where are we going to get food? Where are we going to get water? 
I get it. Kind of. I mean, I personally never looked at a gas price my entire life. I don't know if that's negligence or godliness. I don't know. I'm a guy. I can go to the grocery store and just, I can put everything I want in the grocery cart. That's what I want. Not even look at a price. Walk up. It's like, it's this much money. It's like, oh, let me take that back and that back. Are we okay now? One more thing. I'm that guy. I don't look at prices. I don't know. But I do know that it's life and peace. Now, it tells us something about this material mind, something so foundational, I don't want you to miss it. In verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity with God. Division, sin, separation, wickedness. That's enmity. By the way, listen. It's not saying enmity is a form of division with God. It's not saying enmity is a kind of sin against God. Guys, it's teaching us something so profound and yet simple that to be materially minded, that is to be carnally minded, no thoughts of the spirit, no thoughts of God, who should be first and foremost, is division. It is the source of all division. It is the foundation of all sin. You, you, over the, the, the last four years, four or five years, when I was studying the essence of sin, what, which I like to know definitions of things. I want to know the truth. I want to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. That's why the theme of our church is growing deeper together, right? It's the knowledge of God. And I was studying what the essence of sin was. You guys, I've, I've told you this many times. The heart of sin, the essence of sin, the foundation of sin is what? Okay, I don't, I don't want to embarrass you, so let me tell you again. But write it down and never forget it again. It is preferring anyone or anything above God. That's what sin is. So you got a wife? Great, a wife is a good thing. When you find a wife, you have found a good thing and have obtained favor with the Lord. You know what doesn't say that about husbands? Why? I don't know. But it is a good thing. But if a good thing becomes the best thing, it is idolatry. Like Adam with Eve. Adam chose Eve over God. Are you choosing something of this world, material, something in this world, whether it be a person or a thing above God? That is what sin is. That's what it is to be carnally minded. It's teaching us about what I've been saying for a year, they're preferring anything or anyone, is the heart of sin. It's the foundation of sin. That's what it's saying here. To be carnally minded is division with God. It's not a form. It is wickedness. It is the centerpiece of separation. And doesn't it make sense? Isn't that logical? Because when you're not thinking about God, first and foremost... You're carnally minded and you're in sin. It's carnally minded. 
Oh, I just want, I just want a husband. I just want a husband. I just want a husband. God is your husband. Focus on him. He knows what you want. He may give you a husband when you stop whining about the one you don't have and start focusing on the one you do have. I want a wife. You are a wife, guy. You are the bride of Christ. Get on a dress and get out there. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. No transgender crap here, you know. Start focusing on the groomsmen you have and not focus on the wife you don't have. It's just, do, you, do, do we understand what the Bible's saying? It's saying we should be spiritually minded person, people. And here's the good news. God has given us the Holy Spirit so that we can walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the desires of the flesh. But to be materially minded, to be carnally minded, is the source of division with God. And of course it is. When you're not thinking about God, you're divided from him. When you're not walking in the spirit of God, which is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune Godhead, you're divided from him. He should be acknowledged in every situation of every single day. And when you are doing this, it's life, it's peace, right? And when you're not, it's just pain. And guys, in in Josh Lawrence fashion, let me give you some examples of this carnal mind. You get married. And you say, oh, we got a job in Qatar. We got a job in Nairobi. But we have our house and our place here in Eldoret. So here's the plan, wife or husband. Let's separate, you know, five, six, seven days a week, six months a year, five years out of 10 years, 10 years out of 20 years, 10 years out of 11 years, and we'll save up enough money to develop our compound. And when we retire, then, then we'll, we'll come back together. Have you ever heard of that happening in Africa? It's carnal. It's materially minded. I would rather have 10,000 shillings salary a month and be with my wife and stay faithful than having a million shillings a month and having three different families and three different cities. What is it to be carnally minded? It's pain, it's death. It's sin. Have any of you found out about your father who has another family in Nairobi? It's pain. It's death. It's sin. Don't you, would you trade all the money in the world to have your father with you when you grow up, grew up? Your mother? They made a decision based on material things, not spiritual things. Does that hurt too? Is this too early to convict that much? You want you another one? Can I do another one? The idolatry of university. What a satanic attack upon our world to think every child born in humanity needs to go to university. 
Have we lost our minds? Do you read anywhere in this spiritually minded book that you need to save enough money to make sure every child that is born unto you and your husband or you or your wife needs to go to university and you're a bad parent if you don't? Can I liberate you parents this morning? You're not a bad parent if you don't have enough money to send your kids to university. And you don't need to go around begging to save up money you don't have to send all of your six children to university, which could cost a million shillings apiece by the time they're done with it. That is a trap from Satan. Teach them a trade. Abide in spiritual mindedness in the will of God. God can do wonders with your children and he doesn't need university for them to do great things. We must be having a revival. I've never got a clap for that one in Kenya. Thank you. God bless you guys. God is doing a work in our church. Hey, guys, I want my doctors to go get some training. I would start, I would, I, to be honest with you, I've studied this, by the way, a lot. And the experts that are even not liberal-minded but not Christian are saying, don't send your kids to university. They'll be atheists when they get out. They'll lose their, they'll lose their faith. And let me tell you something. Yes, I want my doctors and nurses to have some training. We need to start uh, vocational training schools nowadays for our doctors and nurses because more university, it's a meat market of atheistic African traditionalist professors who are indoctrinating our children into demonic doctrines. And listen, if you're, if you're a professor in, in the university and you're a Christian, God bless you. Be a light. Be a shining light there. Yes, I want, uh, I want airplane pilots trained. I hope nobody just gets in a, in a plane and says, I can fly this sucker. Let's go. I'm not against training. I'm against conformity because it's always satanic. But I am for unity and diversity. God can send some of you to China to be missionaries. He can send some of you to get training as a doctor or as a pilot, or as a mechanical engineer. But he's not going to send all of you to university. It's just not his will. I know it's not his will. Do you know why? Because he's much more creative than sending every human being to the universities. He's smarter than that. Okay, that's another one. I'll stop on that one. I'll stop. There's so many examples where we choose the material things of this world first. Let me go back to one of the most unfortunate. When we wake up each and every day without being spiritually minded first, seeking God. Isn't it so tempting, church, to do that? Isn't it? You just wake up, it's like, okay, I got to do this and I got to do this. You already woke up too late. It's like, I got to do this. And man, do I have time to read my Bible? Let me tell you something. I'm going to leave. If I woke up late... I'm going to leave some other things done from now on other than not reading my Bible. That's not the first thing that goes. Guess what? It's not an option. It never goes undone. Please develop that conviction today if you don't have it. Don't wake up without God. 
Don't go throughout the day without God. Don't go to bed without God. Be spiritually minded first. Then he says, for it is not subject to the law of God. That's the carnal mind. Nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So here's, here's what the Bible's saying. And Paul is kind of bringing together. I'm going to close. Give me five minutes. The, the Bible is bringing together what it's been talking about now for two and a half chapters. And that is, you can't fight flesh with flesh. You can't fight sin with sin. You can't go and try to put out a fire by throwing gasoline on it. So don't think that the carnal mind after salvation now can conquer sin. That's what he's saying. For the, for the, the, the carnal mind, it's not subject to the law of God. By the way, the Bible wants us to obey God. It's just teaching us the way we can do that, and that is to be in the presence of Christ, which is the fullness of joy, which is righteousness. So even after you get saved, your material mind still can't please God. And then it gives us this good news for those of us who are saved. Verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, now, if anyone does not have the spirit, he is not of Christ. He is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. And then it goes on to describe the power for those who have the spirit, for those who are in Christ because they're born again. And it is the power, verse 11, of the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, that's the spirit that dwells in you. That's the spirit that dwells in you guys. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through a spirit who dwells in you. Praise God. That is incredible. It's like, okay, all right. If you're like me, church, and, and the worship team can come up, we're like, okay, Jesus said, don't worry about my life, what I'm going to wear, what I'm going to eat, what I'm, where I'm going to live. Okay, that's easy for you to say, Jesus. You have all the treasures in heaven at your disposal. You have the power because you're God to overcome sin, but you're telling me not to do this? How can this be? Well, God says, I understand. Let me give you the Holy Spirit who will live in you. And this is the power that was even used in raising Christ from the dead. So I'm not going to leave you powerless, he's saying. I'm not, I'm not going to give you a command. I'm not going to give you the will that I have for your life without giving you the power to fulfill it. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the good news. And, and, and by the way, that's also the point. You get these things and you're like, Jesus, I can't do that. I cannot not worry about my life. I can't worry about the, the food and the, the clothing and the, the, the fees and the, the living conditions. I, Lord, what? He says, I, I know. Let me give you the Holy Spirit 
who raised Christ from the dead and you will see his power. And, and listen, guys. He is asking us to trust him. Saying, guys, I know it. It's hard. It's hard to, it's hard to think about. But what I'm asking you is to, to do what I'm telling you and trust me with the results. That's what he's asking us. Trust me with the results. I know it's difficult. Trust me with the results. He's saying, hey, just, just think of me first. Walk in the spirit. Be spiritually minded. That's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to trust me. And when you do this, you're going to see the power of God in your life. That's what the Bible's saying. So let's trust him, church. Let's trust him. Let's say, okay, seems difficult, but I want to seek your kingdom first, your righteousness first, and I'm going to leave the results of my life up to you. What I'll wear, what I'll put on, what I'm going to eat, where I'm going to live, my job, I leave those results up to you. I'm going to seek his kingdom first. That is what we need to be thinking about today. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege of your word that we have, for the glory we have in knowing you, and for the promise we have that your Holy Spirit is with us. Giving us the privilege of being spiritually minded so many of us for so long, unsaved, carnally minded, materially minded first, which is death. But to be spiritually minded is peace and it is life. Help us, Lord, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.